0: This week on the Off the Crossbar Podcast, breaking news as soon as we press record, and it's a trade that has more questions than answers. Kieran McCardle scores the OT winner as Albany gets a much-needed win. Rochester stays a perfect 5-0, and you guys pick another round of box bets. All that and more on OTCB. Jenner and boy, have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. Backside, there's a shot in the wind. Reese Dutch
1: launches another game winner in his illustrious career. Kids down low, scars. It's Evans, and there it is for Shawnee as he gets it 460 as he moves into
0: ninth place all time. Bill Malcolm, what a goal! Malcolm with a pump fake buys himself some space and he beats Higgins. 47 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Panther
1: City takes the lead. Eli Salama ahead to Simpson, takes the shot and scores. Shane Simpson with the unlikely hat trick as he gets his third of the night. And that just may do it.
0: It's 14 10 Calgary. Out at center is Josh Byrne as he takes a twirl. Dashing in, still with one arm, over the shoulder, score! One, two, three, four, five, six, and it is an NLL sock trick. new
1: wires it, scores! A hat trick for Mitch DeSnew, and the rope is on. To Gilray on the run, puts it past Orleman. It's a
0: 9-5 game in favor of Rochester. Underneath on Withers, double-sealed by Scott, shot, scores! Kieran Ricardo! his fourth of the night, and Albany wins it. They will review it, but I don't see any reason to pull this one back. And it's gonna be an 11-10 win for the Albany Firewolves in overtime. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us all over. The only thing we don't do is TikTok because Patty and I can't dance. (laughs) But you can find us pretty much anywhere. Uh, He is Pat Gregoire on Twitter at pgreggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner, the show at OTCB underscore podcast. And we're on the instas at OTCB podcast. What's going on, my man? Um, Like little breaking news as we press record, but uh, we're going to get to that. How the hell are you? Have you recovered from the trip to Halifax and back?
1: I've recovered, but I'm missing the chowder. And uh, (laughs) I'm not proud of myself. As I told you that um, the Marriott, the Harbor stone grill, um, uh, the restaurant in, in the Marriott, uh, is the best. It's the best in the city. It's, it's unbelievable, but I went out of my comfort zone I uh, tried a couple other spots. I won't say the names, but I can honestly say that the Marriott seafood cheddar still holds the belt. So I am going to go to some other places when I'm there in a couple of weeks with Pete Dalladay. Um, he's not the biggest chowder guy, but I think he, uh, He's more of the fish and chips guy. So he's a fish yeah. and chips guy. I'm the chowder guy. We like to hit different spots, but fair enough, fair enough. nothing will ever. Not, I don't know. I just don't see it happening, Teddy. No. Like if the cool bet had odds
0: right now, minus 500, <laughs> honestly, it's so legit. Um, and then you were in Toronto uh, for Saturday, sitting in the cool bet seats, right behind the benches, um, right behind the penalty box. How was that experience? Because we were talking about it a few weeks ago when we were in Halifax, that, It's not often that we get to go to games and just be fans anymore because we tend to always have, and maybe you were hedging a little more for Halifax because you have that connection, but we generally don't get to sit in the stands.
1: We really don't. And you know what it was, you say, what's believe me or not, I was, you know, still maintaining, wanting to see a good game. And uh, unfortunately we saw for maybe only a half, but um, being in the seats with the fans was awesome. Uh, And I've always like, I've, I've seen a lot of games last year uh, in Toronto or in Hamilton uh, with the rock, with the TSN game of the week. And you could feel the atmosphere was great. Um, you could hear it, you, you know, you'd go down walking through the concourse, you'd see it, but like, you really don't know. And even if you're watching it on TV or on TSN.ca, you can see it, but you don't experience it until you're in the seats until you feel it. It is awesome. Um, you get a blend of the old rock fans that are making the trip, you know, whether it's from the, from the Oakville, Burlington, Toronto, Ajax, whatever regions they are, and they're traveling from, you see a lot of familiar faces, but then you see some new faces with some, yeah. some Hamilton fans that have really embraced this place. But I love the atmosphere. What they have built there is great. I love, and I noticed it from broadcasting it, but you really feel it when you're in the seats, it's that MSG vibe where, the lights are down low in the seats and the, and the floor is really bright. It just yeah. kind of gives a really cool ambiance. but man, yeah. I, I was thoroughly impressed. Um, I love going to games as a fan. I must say it's the first time in a long time. As much as I do love being up in the booth, it's a nice treat once in a mm-hmm. while. I
0: will say that. Yeah. I I was thinking about, it. I, I don't think the last time I sat in the stands for an NLL game was, you know, was pre COVID maybe even a couple of years before COVID. So uh, it's not too often that that I get to do that, so I, I really am looking forward to the fan experience, and I'm glad you got to have that. And the cool bet seats are right on top of the action, so you guys were loving life down there. But it was a, a wild game, obviously not for the Halifax Thunderbirds, but for the Toronto Rock fans. But w- we're doing this Wednesday. By the time you all hear this, it's going to be Thursday, Friday later on. So you know, we were going to talk about what a crazy week week seven was. But, oh, my goodness, dropping a nuclear bomb are the New York Riptide and Panther City Lacrosse Club this morning. Let's go in reverse order. (laughs) Brett Hickey signs with the New York Riptide. And after being released from Calgary, you know, it's going to be tough for him because now he lives in Calgary. He literally had just moved didn't work for Calgary. They get Josh Courier. They release Brett Hickey. Now Brett Hickey's playing for New York. They pick him up. Um, was that needed now that they have also traded Callum Crawford for the <laughs> Panther City Lacrosse Club? Um, where should we start, Pat? It's Well, let's start with what, what the return
1: was for Panther City. Uh, and, and it's a pretty beefy... Mm-hmm. return like let let's get this straight it, it is a it's a pretty big haul with colton lidstone yeah kevin orleman mm. pete la fourth rounder i believe or a, a, a i think it was a, either maybe a third rounder face-off guy from virginia a fourth round selection in 2023 a second round selection in 2024 and a second round selection in 2025 lidstone obviously you've seen a lot of him he has you know in talking with a lot of coaches and scouts across the league a lot of people liked him going into this year's draft as kind of like a swiss army enough a guy that yeah, can kind of i'm a do big, it fan. All. big fan big fan but we know the the big piece that rich lisk and and the riptide we're going for here is
0: kevin orleman which is crazy to me well not crazy in the fact that they're getting a goalie But he hasn't played all year, and for all we know, he's still on the pop, the protected or physically unable to play list. So, if he can't play, are are they making this move for next year, or do they maybe know something we don't? Yeah, maybe
1: his progression in his injury is going better than than we assumed. Um, or maybe, like you said, maybe they're punting on this year. Maybe they realize that this isn't it. They're zero and four. It's going to be hard for them to really climb out of it with how competitive, you know, the top five six teams are in the East right now. And um for me, it is a strange deal. We knew they wanted goaltending. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of felt like we talked about it on Coast to Coast this week, which you'll hear later on this week that we kind of felt like there was going to be a few teams that decide to go with a fire sale and New York was one of them. And Callum Crawford obviously would be that one piece for a team that needs to win now and a team that's not worried about the future. And believe it or not, an expansion team like Panther city, you know, just really got, got rid of a lot of uh, assets for, you know, an aging player, but a player that's obviously proven he can still play. Yeah. But Panther city's, offense like the dynamic of that offense has completely changed now because as we all know Callum Crawford likes the ball in his stick yep. he's a ball carrier he wants to dictate the pace um and for me after such a big big win for New York or for, sorry for Panther City for them to pick up the phone and improve their right side which was proving to be their strongest side and a side that was really growing and working together It it, it confuses me, but should we be surprised with with the way that Bob Hamley and Tracy Kuluski operate? Like, they want want to win. That's all they want Mm -hmm. to do. And for agree with them or disagree with them, they believe that Callum Crawford gives them a better chance to win with him in their lineup.
0: I, I agree with that. It does. Having Callum in your lineup, within your group, does improve your offense. My curiousness goes to the fact that they just signed Jake or just traded for Jake Fox last week. Yeah. So now their right side of their offense is Donville, Dodds, Phil Caputo, Jake Fox, and now Callum Crawford. So does that mean either like, so you're not moving Donville because he's your future as it is. Uh, You just traded for Fox and Crawford. So that leaves Dodds and Caputo just as the insto-facto kind of 2 men out. If it's Caputo, then they have to move Dodds. And if it's Dodds, I think they have to move Caputo unless they move Caputo to a two-way game. I just – I think there has to be something else coming. You know what I mean?
1: Uh, 100%. And and full disclosure, I I mean – it sounded like they've, they this isn't like they just picked up the phone yesterday and and right. got on the horn with bob ham it sounds like they have been kind of working on something surrounding callum for a little while at least that's what i'm hearing through the grapevine mm-hmm. sources as it were so hashtag sources um so for them to go out and get jake fox like the week before like eight days before yeah. pretty much um that goes to show you that maybe Jake Fox originally was in that deal that they wanted to get done, but may yeah maybe you're right. Maybe we see like does if I'm Vancouver, <laughs> I'm picking up the phone right now and I, I'm looking to see what what you can get for Patrick Patrick Dodds. If I That's if I'm in Colorado, uh, someone on the West Coast, heck even Vegas, like I'm picking up the phone and seeing can we get Dodds off your hands? Um, I think Caputo's the likely. And I know from a storyline standpoint, it's not as fun. But yeah. the likely, likely solution is bringing Caputo back out the back door and having him play that two-way transition role. Yeah, yeah. and it, they also already have Tony Malcolm on on the right side doing yeah. that already. And didn't Caputo play that role? He did, Early but it, he did with Toronto and yeah. he didn't really flourish. And that's yeah. why he ended up bouncing to some other teams. And when he finally yeah. got an opportunity here in Panther city to play out the odor, it worked well for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's it just, is, a, it's, it's crazy. What's that? I was just going to basically say the same thing.
1: It's a it, head scratching move from both is. sides. It really is. Like I see for New York, I get it. You know, you get rid of Callum um, an older player and it allows some other younger players to, take a step forward and you can start building for the future. Um, you can allow a guy like Jack Kelly to get into the lineup. Now you can see what do you have with a Jack Kelly on the right Mm -hmm. side? Um, but the head scratching thing is the same thing that you and I said, uh, Kevin Orleman, is he really that guy? You basically, you have both Orleman's now that play very similar games Yeah, and you basically have two of them. Um, Of course, they probably see a higher ceiling than maybe that we do. And I'm Mm -hmm. not saying Orleman can't, you know, one of these guys can't turn into a starting goaltender in the National Cross League because, you know, we've seen what they've been able to do at other levels in major series and in junior A, but we haven't seen them do it at this level. And this makes me like leads to believe that maybe New York has decided that, okay, this isn't, this isn't the year. Um, Let's focus on the future and let's try to get some assets for some of these older players that we know aren't going to be around when we're you know hopefully vying for a title.
0: Like so what's what's New York's right side right now? And so the right side with, with Hickey would, in. So it would be
1: Kernan, Digby, Hickey, and Jack Kelly, who's on the practice right. roster. But they would have to obviously, likely they will bring him up unless they want to just roll with those three, three righties. Yeah, and that's
0: unfortunately that's not a very dynamic right well, side when, when, you when you look when at their compared left. To what your left side is right <laughs> with, with O'Conns and Sonny and Teeter and Lomas when he's in there, you know. It, if you're gonna kind of start the rebuild, you gotta even evenly balance the floor. And that's just going to put so much more pressure on your left side. Now it's it it is head scratcher. We've got Rich Lisk lined up uh, for next week. So we're definitely going to have a very in-depth conversation (laughs) with him about everything that's been going on. But yeah, it's just, you know, we kind of buried the lead talking about the hickey thing off the top. The big news is a Callum Crawford moves to another team. He lives in Oklahoma. So it's a much easier travel for him but it's the return that a a it's the return that new york gets and b what does now bob hamley and tracy klusky do with that right side and that overabundance of right handers because you can't dress five righties. so it'll be very interesting to see kind of what the fallout is and if there's anything more coming down the line in the next few days because you're right i could see vegas interested in dodsy vancouver and calgary interested in dodsy like Imagine getting Dodsey line. I know Calgary is just brought in courier, but imagine Dodsey back in that lineup or imagine Dodsey in the Vancouver lineup. If they're really going to try and turn this thing around. So um, I don't think this is over by any stretch. I think there's still got to be a a move or two done to kind of balance things out down there in Panther city. And I truly do want to see what rich list does to kind of further improve his offense now, because we always thought their offense was in a good spot. They needed to kind of shore up that defensive end of their goaltending. So who the heck knows right now, man. And I
1: think one thing we do have to clear up again with Callum going specifically to Panther city. He lives yeah. in Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, a much right, yeah. easier travel than long Island. Like that, is that's down there
0: too with him, Right.
1: I believe so. I, yeah. I, I, I think so. Yeah. Um, So that totally makes sense from a logistical standpoint. So let's get that that clear there. Um, But yeah, it just, to me, it it screams there's more to be done. And maybe on both sides, for sure with New York, like for Mm -hmm. sure, for sure, I think New York has more moves to be made because it looks like they're punting. And I know I alluded to it that potentially they're putting, especially if we find out that Orleman's still a couple of
0: weeks away from being able to start, Kevin, we're going to have to now <laughs> yeah, you, use their first. Now, yeah. We now have to make that differentiation,
1: but when you have Jeff T on your roster, like I feel like it's the similar and I'm not to, I don't want to put any salt in the wounds here, but it feels very similar to what's going on in Edmonton right now. It feels like every year that you don't make a run for a title with Connor McDavid, it it seems
0: like a wasted year. I honestly, the, the same, the same joking thought came into my head watching that New York game. And I was going to put the, the tweet out, how much longer is Jeff Teat gonna put up with this in New York, right? Like, because that's what everybody says about Conor McDavid. How long is he gonna put up with this in Edmonton until he wants out? And you know, I jokingly said to you on on Coast to Coast and in, in passing um, earlier, I said, "Oh, so New York's gonna be trading Jeff Teat because you know they're rebuilding. You could get a hell of a haul for Jeff Teat, but I don't think you ever trade Jeff Teat just because of how good he is and what he's gonna mean for your organization, but." This is a team that that should be better than they are. And yeah. they just continue to find ways to lose games. And And it's not on any one person. It's not just on the goaltending. It's not just on the defense. It's not just on the offense. It's not just on Laddie. It's not just, not just on Veltman. It's not just on Lesk. It's that whole organization right now is in trouble. And, you know, you, you look at the crowds that they're getting. And, you know, Peter Schwartz was doing that great halftime hit about the the Saints in the 90s when they were putting 12,000 people or whatever it was in Nassau Coliseum and the environment that it was in when they were the original Saints and how they want to get back to that. I just don't know how they do that right now. And if they are continuing to go backwards, the crowds are going to continually go backwards. So um, it's it's a real tough spot for, honestly, for both those organizations because Panther city actually has a winning product on the floor and mm-hmm. they can't find fans. So maybe this is a way to kind of boost some fanship, but uh, a wild start to Wednesday in the national lacrosse league.
1: Never a dull moment in the national <laughs> league, but this certainly spiced up our midweek preparations for the show and for <laughs> what we're expecting for this weekend.
0: Yeah. Um, Over this past weekend, uh, Patty and I were in Halifax, as we talked about off the top, Halifax and Albany. Um, The game was just an absolute gong show. It was incredible Uh, gong show in a good sense of the term. Um, (laughs) It was back and forth. The fans were absolutely electric. Uh, The biggest crowd in Thunderbirds history, other than the orange purple game where they pretty much sold the place out. but Albany was in shambles all day pregame. They didn't have guys with gear. They didn't know when it was going to get there. Guys were sick. Some guys weren't even on ground yet, Uh, but they somehow found a way to win.
1: This is a theme with this team over the past few years now, Um, but this year especially, and we talked to, to Glenn Clark about it, yeah, it's never good losing superstars. Like, you know, two two seasons prior, they lose Callum. And then this season, they lose Joe Reseteritz, who's, you know, both in their right were MVP caliber players. Mm-hmm. You never want to lose those guys. Don't get me wrong. But what Glenn Clark was saying that it almost then allows them to kind of run the offense that they always have wanted to run. Mm-hmm. And that's that next man up mentality. That's that who cares who scores we're going to play fast. We're going to be active and you're not going to be able to game plan for just one or two players or one side of the floor or or the other to shut us down. Everyone's going to be a threat to score and you don't know who's going to go off that night. And that was the case as we found Mm -hmm. out just a couple of days before we landed in Halifax that they were going to be without Connor Kelly, who had Mm -hmm. an unreal game the day before, you know, the, the game before, sorry, when they did play Halifax and yeah, when the offense wasn't looking great it was him blasting shots from the outside getting him to getting the inside like him really being that spark plug and you and i like 100 like i'll admit it i was like man this, this could be a long yeah. night for the offense and sure as shit they prove us wrong once again um and mccardle goes out there and has the game of his career scores the game winner but it's not just him it's the other pieces around that had a great game and Uh, they're a team that's going to be a tough out, man. They're going to be a really, really, really tough out.
0: I I think the scary thing is, is that, you know, the week before they had Justin Getty in net and he played fantastic. And then he played really well in front of them. Then they get Dougie back this weekend and their defense just found a little extra gear. You know, Ashley asked Brett Manny pregame, you know, do you play a little differently? And, and rightfully so he says, no, we just go and play our game. But as, as anybody knows, when it's your starter net, you're a little more free defensively because you trust him just that little bit more. And then when your backup comes in, no matter what the scenario is, if he's starting or if it's coming in midway through a game, you often play a little tighter. You often kind of air more safe and you're not extending as much, not pressuring as much. You're not taking as many chances. And that defense just really found another gear in that game and really stifled that Halifax offense. What it was, no goals from Cody, no goals from Randy, no goals from Benny in that game. That is a well-executed defensive game plan. We saw at morning shoot
1: around how how much talking and walkthroughs and and chatter between coaches and and players really focusing on taking away that two-man game on the right side taking away, you know, the time and space for the facilitators, like Randy Stutz, building that backside wall, not allowing those cross-floor passes, you know, really playing tight off-ball, standing in front of Dougie, blocking shots, like kudos to Clem Durazio, the defensive coordinator for Albany. It was a great game plan, and it was perfectly executed by his defense. And when they did break down – Doug Jamison was lights out.
0: The tinkerer, as I have now liked to call him, because <laughs> he was, you know, he was tinkering and we just watched him and it was little things, just just guys taking different angles when they were stepping out on picks and just doing the little things to kind of iron out some of their difficulties. And it was very well executed. And I think all parts of their game, obviously they didn't have a lot of success on faceoffs going up against the Wiz, but Glenn Clark said, You know what? Fine. He's going to win 95% of the draws. We just can't get scored off of that draw. We can't let him pick up that ball and go down and score. So what do they do? The old Buffalo bandits trick when they used to go up against Jeff Snyder in Philadelphia, screw it. Snyder's going to win that draw. We're just going to put four guys behind the line on our defensive end. And they did that. And there might be some more teams that kind of implore that tactic Moving forward, because of how dominant Wiz is. So if you're going up against Wiz or a TD or a Baptiste, you know these three dominant Eastern draw guys, maybe you do that and just say, hey, you know what? Screw it. Face offs don't matter to us. We're just gonna let you win that draw. We're gonna pack it in on defense and let our defense do the job. And it worked out perfectly. And then, like you said, they allowed that offense to get settled. They, they struggled. You know, it wasn't a very high-scoring game. It was a 4-3 or something after the first half. And both defenses were playing great. And go, both goaltenders were unreal. Like, don't sell short what Warren Hill did that night. He let in one or two soft ones from the outside as sort of unfortunately is becoming the norm for him. But once that second half started going, Albany really found their legs. It, it that That seemed to
1: be... A big, big reason that why the offense kind of came to life in the second half was because the defense and, and Jamison were able to hold things down, mm-hmm. and they were able to figure things out and go through their progressions. And it's not like they, like I'm sure they, they definitely made some halftime adjustments, but it was more or less like, like stick to it, trust yeah. the process. Like these shots are going to fall, like we're going to get it. Yeah, sure. You know what? Transition certainly helped like that, came, that. That was a big part of it as, as well as it always is. Anytime Albany touches a four, but when you have a stalwart back there, like a Doug Jamison, who a, a big reason, not just him making the saves, but him being so calm, cool, collected, having great rebound control. It's not like this chaoticness in the, like it's actually, you know, he's deep in his net he's making the saves, he's fixing his net after after the ball's <laughs> transitioning the other way, and he's we're good to go. Like He brings that calming presence yeah. to the defense, and then the defense then gives that calming presence to the offense, and it's allowed them to have that comeback win and, and win in overtime.
0: And I, I think another big part of Albany's game that doesn't get talked about enough, and the guys all preached it to us in our midweek chats before the game, was their transition game. And the horses that they have coming out of that back end from LaFontaine and Manny um, and, of course, Colton Watkinson, there's some big bodies back there. And they yeah. can get up and down the floor. And if Dougie is settled in and they can get that transition rolling, and this offense gets fully intact, uh, you're right. Albany's not an easy out ever. And I think they can start to win some games and, and start pushing up into that playoff front, whether it's for a crossover, whether it's for a three or a four spot, because, you know, they split that season with Halifax. So if they can start winning some games and get above them, this is definitely a team that could be scary in a postseason push. I've I've said it a million
1: times. I'll say it again. This is a goaltending league. Like if you, especially with how short the playoffs are, if you get in and you have a hot goalie, you can win a championship. There's no doubt in my mind. And right now, if Albany gets in, I mean I'm not I'm not throwing all my money on them to win, but if they <laughs> if they were to get in the playoffs, I would not be surprised if they go on a deep run. Would not would not surprise, especially in that first round. If they sneak in and you know Jameson has a heck of a game. You can steal one with a goalie and and that's that's the beauty that's the frustrating thing for the losing team but it's also the beauty what what makes this playoff format what makes the game of lacrosse so so awesome
0: kieran McCarter would love to see his team in the postseason and he's doing all he can he had four goals last week including the game winner and he joins us right here on the off the crossbar podcast Fresh out of gym class and beating up on the youngsters, preparing them for the future of the world is Kieran McArdle, and he and the Albany Firewolves coming off a big win over the Halifax Thunderbirds. Kieran, how are you, my man?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, no worries. Um, I know Patty and I were around your shoot-around Friday morning, and there were a lot of you guys just in street clothes and without your gear, and maybe... Unwavering, if it was ever going to show up. Did you ever think your gear was going to show up in Halifax?
2: <laughs> um, I, I did. I was, I was staying pretty hopeful, but then, um, you know, around 3 p.m., I kind of was starting to switch gears and search for some, for uh, some, some plain sneakers and and uh, a few gear, a few things of gear. So, uh, I mean, luckily we, luckily we got it about uh 20 minutes before the game so we were good to go
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is unbelievable man like such such a tough situation how how do you mentally prepare for something like that not knowing if you're you know the the gear that you're used to week in and week out how do you prepare if you're not going to have it
2: yeah i I mean luckily i you know i travel with my the head of my stick on my carry-on and you know, if I, if I got that, uh, everything else is, uh, you know, kind of just fill, fill it in and be able to play with. But I, I would have been rattled if I didn't, uh, didn't have my head the stick. Uh,
0: <laughs> you did start to find your groove in the second half. Patty and I were just talking about and kind of kept things, you know, together for you guys over the first half an hour of that game. Down 10-8, less than four minutes to go. Uh, you really and your team seemed to find another gear. For you, where does that drive come
2: from? Uh, I I just like to win, honestly. You know, I, I think you know it. Losing sucks at the end of the day, and um, you know the week is just much better after a win. The the vibe in the locker room is a lot better after a win, um, and and you know I just I just like to compete until the final whistle, and and you know it. In a box game, ten eight with four minutes to go, that's plenty of time. And uh, you know, we, we knew it wasn't over and we just wanted to stay positive on the bench.
1: Those situations are tough when you know you're going up against a guy like Jake Withers, your face off guy, unfortunately, on the shelf for the year, because when you're trying to mount those comebacks, at least you can win face offs, but on the bench, like what's the message? Cause it's not like let's go out and win that next draw. Like you guys were almost conceding the faceoff. It's like, okay, we're gonna get a stop and then go. Like I'm really curious of, of how the messaging was on the board during that time.
2: Yeah, you know, it was it was just let's get a good possession, right? Like I think when we work them deep into the clocks, um, you know, that's when when defense start to fall apart. So uh the, the message was let's get a good possession, let's keep on getting good possessions um you know i I know clarky and gibby were talking a little bit about you know when we were gonna go six on five and and things like that so you know you you leave that up to the coaching staff and you just try to perform out there uh and and get some goals to the back of the net
1: well unbelievable game from you uh you know career best really everything seemed to be dropping for you but I know you let's go kind of back to, to, to last year. You, you go out the back door and I know we talked about a pregame and you, you're a big team guy. You're going to do whatever you can for your team to, to help them win. But how excited were you when you, you got to Albany and you knew you're going to be back playing out the front door?
2: Yeah, very excited. Right. Like, I, I mean, that's where that's where I'm comfortable. Um, you know, even though I didn't play box growing up, you know, playing field, I played attack. So I was playing offense. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of my comfort zone and, and where I feel comfortable and, um, you know, kind of where I, I can find my flow within the game. Uh, speaking of
0: big team guys, uh, is there anyone more enjoyable to be around than Greg Downing? Like the guy's been around for 14 years and I honestly don't think he gets enough credit.
2: That that, that you took the words right out of my mouth. It's It's pretty insane. Like I remember when I was in Toronto and you know, he was going up a verse Schreiber and he was just, you know, he was doing his thing out there and, you know, fast forward five years later, he's still out there doing his thing. And, um, you know, I don't know if cause he's an American, he doesn't get love or he's not the flashiest guy out there, but um, you know, he, he's a grinder and uh, it's amazing. He's still doing it after this many years.
1: Well, on the topic of American guys and you know us Canadians we always we always hear you know and ask questions you know box across like how did it help develop your inside game finishing tight a lot of coaches down south for NCAA programs are telling their Americans come up and play in the summer it's really going to help your two-man game but I want to flip things as a field first guy what kind of things can you take of your game in the field game and bring it to the box game that helps you give an advantage
2: uh yeah i, I think like my field game in box like a lot of times i'm sweeping over the top um you know in but in field i'm in that like low lefty spot um you know similar to being on the side boards in, uh in the box game so i think that's kind of my comfort zone and coming over the top the way i do it's it it all is pretty similar um in that aspect obviously there's there's a lot of a lot of differences within the game but um you know that that's kind of what feels comfortable for me and it's kind of ideal that i could uh you know find that sweet spot in both indoor and outdoor
0: um when did you first experience box across was it your first nll camp
2: Um, so actually I, I tried out for the Black Wolves, I want to say in 2015 at a open tryout. Was that their first year? Do you know? Uh,
0: yeah, that sounds about right. Once they moved from Philadelphia. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it was their first year there and I, I got out, like I went to an open tryout, um, got cut from there and then 2017, um, I think we're 16. I forget our first year Brody Merrill acts, uh, just, you know, reached out to Tom Schreiber and I, and saw, you know, uh, asked if we had any interest in, in picking up the box game. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, they brought us out to Toronto and, you know, we stayed up there a good amount, um, and, and learned the game and kind of just fell into the right spot with a lot of people retiring and, um, a few injury, a few injuries that happened there in Toronto. And, you know, we're able to play early on and kind of just ran with it.
0: And and now that you're sort of one of the elder statesmen of American guys in the National Cross League and you're doing some of these camps and a lot of stuff in the community, what advice do you give to the new generation of kids that want to try or maybe too afraid to try box?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, all the, you know, a lot of the studs that are in college right now that I'll, that I'll train, um, I, I tell them all, go play junior. Like, go up and stay with a family um get a year junior under your belt and and give that a go because that's something that i wish um you know i had the opportunity to do I, i know a few guys that you know my teammate charlie kitchen he went up uh and played for the beaches uh one year while he was in college so i tell those guys to do that and then you know on long island the box game is really growing um and i'm trying to coach coach it a good amount and uh you know try to you know teach them actual box rules and and uh you know kind of patterns offensively and and things like that to build that toughness within uh you know these young guys so um you know definitely definitely push the box game heavy where i am
1: you mentioned charlie kitchen but john piatelli another guy new to the box across game that really impressed us uh, in halifax and you had some pretty high praises for him as well. What do you like of his game early on in his young NLL career?
2: Yeah, I mean he he's he just finds a way to kind of put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, um, you know, he he doesn't have much box experience either. Um, and you know, it, when he comes over the top, it he's got this like overhand, like kind of twister leaner that you know. I think you saw his one go. Um, but he's been doing that a lot, um, and, and his shot is is real hard to read. So if he can get his hands free over the top, I, there's you know a good good chance it's going. But um, you know I'm excited to see him continue to progress. Uh, you know within the two man game and three man game and, and things like that because you know him sweeping over the top he and and shooting the ball he that down. But once you know he finds those little. Mm-hmm little things within the box game that he could pick up and, and add to his game. He's going to be a real good player. You mentioned being a long Island guy. Did you ever go to old
0: original New York Saint games when you were a kid?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I used to play at uh, the halftime at, at, at them. So hilarious. Uh, you know? Yeah. And, and it was funny. Cause like, you know, I've, I've never saw it growing up. I didn't even really know what box lacrosse was. But, uh, yeah, my team and stuff, we would play at the halftime and we would uh, we would go to the games back in the day.
0: What were the, we're, cause I, you know, we were talking about earlier in the show about just, you know, how they're trying to get fans back. And Peter Schwartz was doing a piece on, you know, the original Saints and how wild and crazy the crowds were. What do you think it's going to take for this new version of NLL in Long Island to kind of grasp the fans' attention to get them out?
2: You know, I, I really wish I had the answer to that. Um, you know, it, 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 I, I would think it it was, would be better than it is right now. Honestly. Um, you know, obviously long Island's huge. Um, you know, all the club programs are, are playing box across now in the winter. Like, so these kids know about it. I, I, I honestly, I, I just don't have the answer on, on why the attendance, um, you know isn't better than it is but I, I think you know it'll get there eventually as they you know continue to grow and, and win, win some more and all those things but um, you know it's it's pretty cool having it on there since I grew up you know going to those games.
1: You, we talk about New York it's it's the opponent this weekend they made a big trade this this afternoon as we're recording they're your former team, so clearly you know a lot about them, and you, everyone knows they're zero and four right now, and, and they're hungry for a win. Besides an electric offense, you know what problems do they pose for you guys?
2: Yeah, I mean, you you definitely said the offense there. They're they're great in transition, um, you know. So we're gonna have to offensively make sure we're we're getting off the floor and, um, you know, giving our defense a chance to play five on five. Um, you know, I think transition goals in this league are, are killer. Um, And it's a big momentum swing. Um, And then, you know, you got Orleman and net who, you know, is, is, you know, kind of fine in his stride, I think a little bit, you know, maybe struggled a little bit early, but he's, he's an unbelievable goalie and um, you know, we're going to struggle with him. So hopefully we could, uh, you know, just continue to build and continue to grow and and hopefully get a, a win at home here.
0: Uh, you were telling us the story of uh, first of all congrats on being named to the team USA field roster um you were telling us about how they announced that roster to you guys and it sounded kind of awkward to me was it awkward for you guys how they did that
2: uh i, I don't know if it was awkward I, I don't i don't know i mean you know they wanted to get a chance to talk to the guys that that weren't able to make the team um you know cuz we we did spend a long time together. You know, there was 50 guys that went through, you know, like almost a year of a tryout. So, you know, the way they were saying is, you know, we're all part of this team, you know, we're all in this together. And, um, you know, unfortunately we could only take 23 guys um, at the end of the day. So uh, I I don't know if it was, I wouldn't really say awkward because, you know, we were a pretty tight knit group and all the guys, you know, were you know obviously you want to win you want to make the team but um you know at the end of the day you're happy for i'm sure they were happy for the guys that that did make it 100%
0: fair enough um speaking of team usa rosters i'm going to put you on the spot um if you had to pick usa's bop box roster for 2024 what's that look like
2: um <laughs> i mean it, it's definitely you know every uh, every go around. I, I think there's more guys obviously that you could pick from. Um, but you know, I'm <laughs> the, the left side, you know, just off the top of my head, blaze Rambo, um, fields O'Keefe. I don't know if I'm leaving someone out. <laughs> my, not bad. my Yeah, not bad. I mean, righties, reciterates, um, Schreiber, uh, I don't, I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting guys, but, you know, there, there's some good names in there. And um, I, I think the last time around, you know, we had, we had Iroquois on the, on the ropes there in the fourth quarter, um, you know, and, you know, hopefully, you know, with, you know, uh, some more guys, this, this go around, we can make a little splash and, you know, hopefully compete for the gold medal game. You think Jack think- Hanna makes it? <laughs> Who's that? Oh, Hanna. Jack yeah. Hanna makes it? Yeah, that, that guy's pretty good at lacrosse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Uh, we appreciate your time, Kieran. That, That was awesome, buddy. Um, glad you got home safe from Halifax. What a whirlwind tour that was for everybody and good luck this weekend and keep it up, brother. Awesome. Appreciate what
2: you guys are doing for the game. Talk to you soon. All
0: right. There's Kieran McArdle. Uh, what a great guy. Um, and man, just really turned it on in the fourth quarter, but, uh, what is your Team USA roster looks like, like Patty? Jeez, that that's, I mean, it's
1: definitely improved since the last time. I think he mentioned everyone on that left side. Uh, on the right side, you've got Tom Schreiber. You got Connor Kelly. Probably by 2024, I think Charlie Kitchen's probably Kitchen, yeah. going to be there. There's probably another, I mean, maybe John Piatelli's there. The defense, you got Danny Logan. You've got Ryan Fanko. The big thing for me is goaltending. Yeah. Like I think goaltending is and it's always going to be, but we're getting closer with the box, US box, like you know, investing in having goalies, like actual goalies, not just field guys throwing, giving them gear and, and putting them in between the pipes. Like we're seeing specialized goaltending um like moose winery like he he's mm-hmm. probably going to be a guy at some point for them so for me like when you when you look at their offense when you look at their defense they're going to be able to compete it's just can they keep the ball out of the net with their goaltending?
0: Yeah. in it i think they just need a few more big bodies at the back end and we know you know they, they're always going to be able to find those guys and obviously baptiste the face-off thought is going to be huge yeah, it's the question. And Joe, is
1: always, Ardella, like, yeah, Joe Nardella. Like, oh yeah.
0: He, he'll definitely be healthy by then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they'll be fine at the face-off thought. They'll be fine out the front door. Like it might be it might be the best offense the US has had, maybe ever. Yeah. With just the amount of guys that are playing in the National Lacrosse League mm-hmm. right now. Um I think goaltending and defense will be their question. That's generally where their questions are, but uh very interested to see. Uh, what 2024 looks like they just for people's knowledge, they haven't finalized where those 2024 worlds are going to be. I know there are a few places um, that have put in, you know, bids. Uh, I think there's been a a European bid. Uh, I I believe there's a couple American bids, but there's also a couple ideas that, that some people are kicking around to kind of just not have one city or one arena host everything or, or two arenas and once they kind of want to i heard someone wants to kind of do a bit of a travel ish um world championship whether it's in north america or just in canada or just in the u.s um so more people can see it and they can use more venues and they can really um merge the world box championships with the nll and those markets so um, I'm very interested to see what they do for 2024, because obviously we know San Diego is hosting the world in 2023. What the, they do for the box world championship is still up in the air. But there are some people trying to make this uh, um, a world championship that is very well connected with the National crossing League as well.
1: It would be smart. And I think the, the NLL would be smart to do it as well and kind of have it as a festival and a celebration of box lacrosse. I think what we saw the last time around with, with on a Dog nation hosting, it was mm-hmm. phenomenal. And we, you know, it was such an amazing event. Uh, it would, it would kind of be, you know, a step back if, and I don't know if you're ever going to replicate like what the experience was there, but no. it's gotta be something that's cool. That's different. And yeah, hundred percent getting the NLL involved uh, in some way, shape or form
0: um quick recap of last weekend rochester's undefeated which is maybe the story of the year so far uh two big losses for halifax once at once versus albany once in toronto where they just ran out of gas in that second half against a rock team that's starting to fire away and of course what can you say about mitch to he just continues to find hat trick after two goal game after two goal game uh rock and bandits get big wins georgia and the riptide are still winless in the east Roughnecks and Mammoth get revenge wins over the Seals in the rush. Panther City grinds out a win in Philadelphia, and the Warriors get their first win over Vegas. Uh, we talk about last week's games in this week's episode of Coast to Coast, but let's kind of go somewhere else. Um, what, what was sort of a, a, a secondary storyline for you?
1: I think this, the, the, you know, the secondary storyline, I I think every single one of these points that you made are really big and, and really um, vital to where each team is, is going to go. I kind of want to talk about the Warriors and I know, I know it's big that they got their first win, but I still think they're still very, very far away. They still allowed 16 goals against Vegas. They almost blew it. Um, You know Walsh. Yeah, I know he's a young goalie. I know he's learning. He still has to learn and has to prove. It's it's definitely great that the offense came to life, but there's, Mm. I think, just Warrior fans need to be cautiously optimistic. And even if they win this week, still be cautiously optimistic. But just just so you know like there is still a lot of holes that this team needs to fix but i do believe they're aware of that i think i'm not going to get mad at a team that's that that started out winless uh for being excited of winning i'm never going to be upset with a team in the national Cross league for being upset for, yeah. for for winning but after hearing what what mitch jones said this week on the uh lax class mm-hmm. podcast with jake and, and tino i think I think he made it evidently clear that yeah they're they're so pumped up that they won but there's still a lot of work to go
0: yeah um, yeah I, i'm gonna go with just i hate using the word parody you know you know that about me um but the fact that colorado and calgary kind of both avenged wins over the seals and the rush it just shows that you know how teams were preparing week to week and how quickly teams can make adjustments and what they can do you know albany made You know, those adjustments from game one against Halifax to beat him in game two. Calgary, you know, didn't get shell-shocked with the return of Curtis Dixon and and Dane Doby. They actually, what I loved about the play of Calgary is they went right at Dixon and Doby. They showed them in that first game and then Doby's first game back last year, they showed those guys too much respect. Like they didn't want to hurt them because, you know, it's their return. We got to let them have their moment. They literally went right at Dixon, right at Doby, punched them in the mouth and said, it's not going to happen. And I thought it was an absolutely fantastic game. The Mammoth played a much better game against the Rush because, you know, they weren't missing half their roster like they were in that first weekend's game. And then, of course, we're going to go right into it. Thumbs up, thumbs down. My thumbs up, Reese Dutch, uh, just continually getting it done. Um, The overtime winner, it's just such a great storyline for Reese Dutch being healthy and really contributing, especially for an organization that he has terrorized his entire career. Uh, His first game, he goes one and two. His second game, he goes like one and three. Uh, He gets one and four this past weekend. He's starting to chip in, starting to feel comfortable, and he's finding a home with the organization and the fan base. So my thumbs up, Reese Dutch, super stoked he's healthy and playing again. If you want to win lacrosse games, have Reese Dutch on your line because he, if, if
1: the, the game's on the line, the balls in his stick, he's going to find a way to score. It was, it was awesome to see that. And I'm sure there's still some, some mammoth fans out there that are biting their tongue because they can't believe this guy's on their <laughs> team. But uh, I think they finally have, have realized uh, the villain has become the hero in this, in yeah. this case. My thumbs up. Um, and these are unofficial numbers, but I know daily dive lacrosse, Uh, threw this out. But, I mean, if you use your eyeballs, you could confirm that these aren't fudged numbers. This is legit. I'm giving the thumbs up to the NLL fans that showed out this weekend. The attendance numbers this week were phenomenal. Buffalo, just over 14,000. Philly, just over 10,000. Same with Calgary, just over 10,000. Halifax and Toronto, both over 9,000. As you mentioned, Halifax – the biggest crowd in the nest we've ever seen. Colorado, just under 9,000. Vancouver, about 8,500. The only unfortunate one was New York with just about 3,000. But it was a Sunday afternoon. And to be honest, I, again, I I won't go into that broadcast. There was a lot of audio issues with that. Yeah. But from what it sounded like, I, I was kind of surprised to see the number that low because I thought it was one of their more energetic yeah. crowds. But again, that's a conversation for another day. A yeah. Sunday is a tough draw, never Always. mind um, in the NFL playoffs. Yeah, Never yeah. mind a, a, you know, a market that's struggling to get big numbers on a big night anyways.
0: Yeah. Uh, what's your thumbs down, sir? My thumbs down, and
1: I'm kind of afraid to do this. <laughs> I know why. If,
0: I don't you know. You end up in a box. Being shipped off to somewhere in another box, in <laughs> yeah. another box, in another box. Something tells me he doesn't really consume this media, so I'll <laughs> say it anyways.
1: Graham Hossack's shoes. <laughs> I don't, I'm G- still G- not really G-
0: sure what they are.
1: I, I, I'm very, I guess they are like these, uh, very low, in, like impact workout shoes. Like, actually, Mitch Jones was talking about it on, on Jake's podcast this week about it, and like, you know. People use them for running because it engages a lot more muscles. And now after hearing that, it's like it it engages more. Like, he's basically doing a workout now yeah, while right. playing an <laughs> NL game. He's like, th- how strong this guy has to be to wear these shoes? Hey, you know what? I- I'm always a look good, feel good, play good guy. The way he played on Friday, he could yeah. show up in flip-flops. If he's going to play with that, I don't care what he's wearing. But in terms of style points, an absolute zero. But
0: <laughs> – but At least he's not him, wearing white socks with them
1: yeah he's not you can't wear socks in them no. because they're so tight to, they are it, unbelievable yeah I, I like when it. I
0: first saw them I and I know a lot of people were messaging us during the broadcast it looked like he was wearing socks and when you're up close they they look like rock climbing shoes they're just super thin, super low profile all like like they accentuated his calves like no other. And yeah. he just, like, oh, yeah, everyone was like, oh, Graham just wants to show off his legs a little bit more. He doesn't want shoes getting in the way. But, like, I was at junior practice the and I was wearing just low-cut runners. And just trying to cut made my legs sore. Like, yeah. most guys are wearing three-quarters high tops just for ankle support. This guy is wearing nothing that comes even close to his ankle bone. And he's still able to be as dominant as ever. It's just, it was crazy to see. But, yeah, in a fashion sense... <laughs> Big fail, big fail. And
1: and again, I I noticed he's been wearing it to the start of the year, but I think now people, especially with them being on the game of the week and like a lot of attention around it. There was a lot of buzz. That's why I brought it up. And also the fact that again, six cause turnovers, (laughs) four loose balls, which I think he had more, but that's a discussion for another day, four block shots. And he went two for two to give Jake Withers a rest on a couple of face offs. The guy is There was a lot of chatter about him kind of having a down season last year. Well, I think he's immediately put his name back into the race for Defender of the Year. Yeah, Uh,
0: my thumbs down is an issue across the National cross League. Uh, When you, I think we're blessed uh, with our TSN ESPN broadcast that we get full score bugs with shot clock and penalty time. Why can't we do that all across the league for every game? It just doesn't make sense to me. And I don't know why some teams have to shoot their camera onto the actual score clock or they have to take a direct feed from the scoreboard. It's just we have to find a way for the viewer's experience at home. Instead of just having a drop down box that says power play, we got to have a way that that's the actual remaining time in the penalty and it's it's been an issue for a number of years actually it's not just right now but we just need to find some some simpatico throughout the entire league with these broadcasts and it's something that needs to change because it really is hurting the viewer experience when they can't see how much time's left in the shot clock or on the penalty or the quarter or sometimes it's not even there for three quarters of the game so just something that, that I would like to see you know, worked on and fixed and alleviated because from a viewer's experience, that is vastly important.
1: Strong agree. I, I couldn't agree more. When you have new fans checking out a sport, you need to give them all the tools to understand the game as much as possible. You don't want to dumb it down no,
0: where course. it's unwatchable, but it's just a simple ask. Give us, uh, us gameplay uh, time. Quiet week out. four coming up, but there's a couple juicy matchups on Friday. Buffalo Rochester, a battle for number 1 in the east. 4 and 1 Buffalo, 5 and 0 oh Rochester. I didn't think this was going to be the case as we entered week 8, but here we are, Patty, and early on the game of the year so far maybe.
1: How could it not be at this right. point? You've you've got the undefeated underdog, like the longest shot to win the NLL title in Rochester sitting at five and zero, oh, and they're visiting, or sorry, they're hosting Buffalo. Um, yeah. We know that's going to be a split crowd. Like it, like Buffalo always shows out. Oh, it's just down the oh. down the highway, and you know, right now the Bandits are the betting favorites. But yeah. do they? Does does Rochester care? No, they don't. They really do not care. They have completely played with a chip on their shoulder, and Connor Fields. Oh, he is going to be playing with the biggest chip on his shoulder because this is the team that decided to not protect him. He ends up in Rochester and
0: he's put his name into the race for MVP so far. Um, I was making some notes as I was watching the games from this past weekend. And you remember when we were doing our preseason talks and even um, at the draft talking with John Tavares and said, you know, what did you feel your needs were? And he felt that they needed to get tougher not, you know, fight you tough, but just more of an offensive presence. When you look at that offense, you know, you have your top guys of Byrne, Dane, um, Dahoga, and who's the other one I'm thinking? Uh, 22's Byrne, 92's Dane, oh, Buchanan and Dahoga. So those are your top four. Then you've got Brandon Robinson, You've got Brad McCulley, and you got Dalton Sulver. So you have your top four guys, and you're going to let them be your top four guys. And then you add this grit factor of Robinson, McCulley, and Sulver to your offense, whether it's for scrap for loose balls, whether it's to actually fight a guy, but they just, those three guys have added that extra bit of grit to this offense that I really think they've needed. Obviously, the loss of Chris Cloutier hurts when he gets healthy. Does he come back in? That's a question for a later date. But I think they really have addressed that need to get a little bit tougher.
1: And you can argue that this offense is harder to defend now because they have different – Plans to it mm-hmm. it's not just oh we're gonna out-talent you every single night because it, it worked during the regular season but come playoffs come a three-game series where you give a coaching staff time to dissect the offense over and over again it it's it's easy it's easier to defend They, you know, Colorado is a perfect example. They were able to grind them out. They were able to figure out that offense and slow them right down. And it was pretty much evident from the third quarter in game two and on. Yeah. Um, And they're so much tougher to play against in terms of guys leaning on you, like Robinson going out and just using that big frame to pick multiple guys at once and giving time and space. I think the, like, I said it on coast to coast this week, Josh Byrne should be an MVP candidate, despite obviously when you've you've got Matt Vince and, and Dane Smith in that lineup. But I really do think that the insertion of Brandon Robinson in this lineup has allowed Josh Byrne to play even better. Yeah, like it's giving him space. It's so much time and space. Yeah. Uh this 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 offense plays so much heavier, and it is it is tough because You've got your speedsters, you've got your finesse guys, and then you've got guys that are ready to punch you in the mouth and and throw those hard picks. And it and it's it's exhausting. And the thing I like seeing too is, you know, with the lack of lefties that they have right now, with Cluchoy out, we're seeing E. McKay play a little bit of yeah. offense too. He's grabbing loose balls. He's a spark plug. He can score that. He knows he can score. So they're they're it's crazy to say because they were one of the most dynamic offenses in NLL history last year. They take they're away some
0: of their talent, but they're way they're more, more complete. Com- they are way more complete. Uh, the second game on Friday, uh, bottom of the basement in the West, Vancouver 1-4 and in Vegas 0-4, a rematch of last weekend. Um, we kind of talked about Vancouver off the top, um, but let's kind of focus on Las Vegas a little bit here. They released Tyson Rowe. They activate their draft pick in Griffin Hall. Um, similar type players, big bodies in that defensive end. But unfortunately – we, you talked about being a goaltender's league. Landon Kells didn't have the greatest of start. Joel, um, I can't think of his last Watson. Thank you. Joel Watson came in, and I thought he actually did a good job in settling that team down. And Vegas showed a lot of grit to get back in that game. You know, Greerzy had a third quarter hat trick. Rob Hellyer had 11 points. Um, Jack Hanna's starting to get a little more comfortable after, you know, he had a hot start. Jake Roy continues to do his thing, so I think it's it's a big positive to take away for Vegas that they showed a lot of heart and came back in that game. They just need to get a better start from their goaltending and their defense. So if this team can put it together, I think they can start to win some games. They. Again, I've
1: I've given this defense and the goaltending tandem a lot of credit. Like we saw, like it looked like Landon Kells was starting to figure it out and he's a young goalie. He's gonna have these games. I'm curious to see if if Williams goes back to Kells or if he gives yeah. Watson an opportunity here. Um, but when you look at what the offense was able to do, uh, I don't know if they can replicate that. Uh certainly you definitely want their defense and their goaltending to be better, but you know what you have like that. I think you just say like, listen, we, we just have to be better defensively. We can't leave our goaltenders out to dry and offense, like continue to play with that confidence, continue to share the ball uh, because f- it felt like they were playing in two different units. Like the righties were really yeah. moving the ball well. And then the ball gets, gets swung to the lefty and it kind of dies of the stick. And, and then the lefties are, are, you know, shoot from the outside like it just it didn't seem like there was any cohesion cohesion between the righties and the lefties it all came together uh, against the warriors the other night and it was beautiful to see it's just unfortunate they yeah. let in 19 goals yeah. before that
0: yeah that, that eight goals first quarter is not going to help any team so if they can just clean that clean the starts up and play full 60 as we always say um I think this is going to be a heck of a game and hopefully the fans turn out uh, in Vegas is that team still looks for their first win uh, on Saturday due to the Eagles playoff game uh, wings and rock game time has been switched to 1 p.m. Eastern, but this is a pivotal game in the NLL East right now. Philly coming off that loss to Panther City. They're going to be pissed off playing at home. And they always play Toronto. Well, the rock would love to continue this winning streak. So I'm super amped for this game. In Philadelphia. And I know it it is going to be a wild day on Saturday (laughs) in Philadelphia. I think I saw a press release saying they're going to open up the parking lot at eight o'clock in the morning. Fans can get into the tailgate with a ticket. Like that whole downtown Philly area is going to be banana lands.
1: I I honestly I honestly can't wait. Like it's it's gonna be full Philly in the flesh. Like it's gonna be a raucous crowd. They're they're gonna be excited for for that game. But they're obviously thinking of the Eagles as well. Like it's it's going to be an electric atmosphere in there. And as mentioned, it's coming off a, a really really good atmosphere against Panther City last week. Yeah, they lost, but um, we saw that in Week One. You know, they they really really did not play well. They, they no. got blown out by Halifax. But then they come back. They play a great game against Georgia, and they play an even better game against Vegas. And we start started to see that chemistry build with Joe Reseteritz and Ben McIntosh. But then they have a step back last week, only scoring 10 goals. That Wasn't their best effort. I think this is a team that is going to bounce back, that will bounce back, and they're, they're going to play tough against Toronto, who's Toronto's proving that, Maybe this is that preseason team that everyone thought could win a championship. So I'm, I'm a, I think this might be the game I'm looking forward to most this this week. Um, and I, I love afternoon lacrosse. Let's be let's of course. Be it um, is Blaze Reardon the breakout player of the year? Oof, that is a tremendous, tremendous question. I mean, I, I guess Connor Fields doesn't really
0: fall I guess under that category. Guess he's probably up there ish, but. Blaze had 54 points in 2019. He's got 19 points already on pace for 85 and a half. Like he would shatter everything he's ever done. He's just, he's playing a different blaze ball than we've ever seen him in. And I absolutely love it. And he's, he's been, you know, we always talk about having grinders in your lineup and there's no better grinder than blaze Rudin right now. He, he's just finding loose balls. He's getting in the middle of the floor um he's creating a lot of space for guys like we talked about brandon robinson doing and you know that dynamic american left-handed duo i don't think we ever thought we'd say something like that but rambo and blaze are, are a really good duo in the national lacrosse league and and those two guys can continue to find chemistry i think this philadelphia team can turn things around uh final game on the weekend albany at new york we've talked about both teams Um, extensively Uh, one point of note Colton Lidstone who comes over in that trade for Panther city is a right-hander. So he might be a body that can factor into that right side to give them some more speed um, and a little more um, buzz around that offense to kind of help balance sides out. So those are your four games in week eight. It is a quiet one, uh, but an important one. Also important, is trying to get you some money, so let's uh, have some fun.
1: Time now for box bets. Your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool. Bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads, and uh, we're still in the mix, baby.
0: <laughs> OTCB parlay time, Patty. Uh, we were close, so close last week. Yeah, the overtime
1: loss to Halifax hurt us. Colorado won and, and, and San Diego. So I guess we weren't really that close, any One for two, but again, we're off the hook. We're not the ones picking it. It's you folks. You guys are the ones voting on it. I did like the way that looked. I actually like this one um, even better. I really, really think... The OTCB listeners listen to this one, and I think they're going to like it. Well, I mean, they have to. They voted on it, right? (laughs) Hit me with it. Las Vegas, New York, and Philadelphia, all to cover the two and a half spread plus
0: 400. Ooh. Simple. So they don't have to win. Nope. They can lose. They just got to keep it within three. Less than three.
1: Less than three. A two-goal game. That's all they got to do. And Vegas, we saw take away that first quarter. They're right in that game. Uh, Look at Philadelphia. We just ran it down. That's a team that's going to be competing hard with an energetic fan base. And they're a team that, to be quite honest, when they play at home, they usually keep games close. And then New York, I mean – yeah, you, losing Calvin Crawford certainly hurts, but this is a team that's playing desperate, and this could be a, a quote unquote trap game mm-hmm. for Albany.
0: Absolutely. Um, also, some updated NL odds from our friends over at cool Bet. San Diego, still the favorite at plus 500. Toronto, and Colorado sitting second at plus 600. Buffalo, 650. Sask at plus 800. Halifax at plus 900. Uh, the biggest jump. Rochester Nighthawks now plus 100, sorry, plus 1,000. The 5-0 and team, still a plus 1,000. They were plus 7,500 in the preseason. Have you ever seen a jump like that, Patty? Oh, man.
1: I, I mean, maybe like Leicester City back a few years ago. Like, <laughs> Fair, I yeah. mean, th- yeah. this is pretty crazy. And if they beat Buffalo, I would really oh, be, my goodness. I would be really, really, really interested to see where that line goes. But, again, hey <laughs> – if you sprinkled just a little bit of money at the at the start of the season, being like, ah, who knows? Who like? Let's let's be honest. You can just put nobody. down a buck. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody, and, and and I don't care who you are, unless you're inside that locker room. And I don't even know if there's a lot of guys in the locker room that would believe that they would be off to a five and zero start. Yeah. Five and zero.
0: That's got to be the
1: storyline of the year so
0: far. Yep, 100% it is. It it, it absolutely is. You know, you add in the Connor Fields angle, um, the return of Ryland Hartley. It it is just a heck of a story going on uh, in Rochester right now. The Jenny beer is flowing strong. If you want to jump in on the fun with us at the OTCB Parlay, uh, head over to Coolback Canada, find that features tab, scroll down. It'll say OTCB parlay, click it, join in, have some fun. And next week we'll have another few options for you to vote on. As we always say here at the podcast, stay cool. Bad responsibly. Thanks to Kieran McArdle for stopping by and giving us some time. We'll have to see the fallout of the Riptide trade as the Firewolves and Riptide do battle on Saturday. Thanks to you for stopping by and giving us some time. You can find him, Patty Gregoire on Twitter at Pete I'm at Teddy Jenner, the show at OTCB underscore podcast or on Instagram at OTCB podcast. Thanks for listening here on the lacrosse flash podcast network. Enjoy the games this weekend. If you go to a game, take a friend, if you take a friend, take two, find a beer, friends, beer and lacrosse. Perfect combination. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.
2: I am an outfall